Christmas. Before I begin, um, I'd like to invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray. Father God, we are so grateful for this opportunity to come before you. Opportunity that we have to open your word and to see what it is that you have in store for us today. And I pray that your spirit will, will soften our hearts and our minds to not that we, you are calling us out or, or putting us down, but to, that you are calling us to you. And I pray that as we read the scriptures, that they will come alive in our hearts and in minds as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Where is the king? In our world today, there are many individuals who have taken the title as king. How do I know this? Some of you will be able to tell me who is the king of pop. I heard already. Okay. The king of basketball. No, he is the goat. <laughs> the king is LeBron. The self-imposed title of King James. Um, and so when we look, we, the world has taken this title and said, hey, I am the greatest. I am the king. I am, there's no one like, like me. There was never one like me before. There will never be one like me after this. And so... I'm going to pose to you who's the king. Where's the king? So I invite you to open your Bibles with me if you don't have your Bibles or, or your phones. Uh, I have the text. It's going to be summarized in the screen. And it's found in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to be reading. We're going to be reading here for a little bit. And then we're going to get into it. So I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 2. I, will, I am not going to read it from my Bible. I'm going to read it from the screen. And you will notice that I will jump, I'm going to jump verses. Okay? But this is the story where we find, or this is the chapter, the location we find in the Bible of this story. It says, Now, after Jesus was born... In Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Then Herod sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search, search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. When they had, heard, they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, 
For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he ordered to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. In accordance and with the time he had learned from the Magi, but when Joseph heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in the dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So it might be fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called Nazarene. Let's back up here for a little bit. You've heard the, the, the story, but let's go back to the very beginning of this chapter. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, and behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is the king who was born? The king of the Jews. It's a little bit presumptuous, don't you think? You walk in into the king's house and you say, where is the new king? I mean, have you thought about that for a minute? Have you, has that sunk in where it's like you walk into somebody's house and, and say, who's the owner? You're looking at him. No, no, no. There's a new owner for this property. Who is it? How would you feel? Right? Angry. I was like, what, what, you, you out of your mind? So the Bible tells us that Herod was furious, right? He became troubled. He became furious after he learned that he was outwitted, but he became troubled. Wait a minute. Is there another king? Did Caesar appoint somebody else to rule this land other than myself? Did, so you can imagine the many questions that may have surfaced. When, if you read this story and you don't take in what is inferred, you begin to skip over the really good details. Why? Because this didn't happen in just one day. Herod becomes troubled, and then he goes out and he searches for the wise men. Who are the wise men? Not the ones that came, not the Pharisees. The wise men of his time, we can say, were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's what the Bible says. So after he hears this message, he searches out for the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he asks them, hey, what is this that I hear about a new king coming? Oh, you don't have to worry about that. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. But he hasn't come yet. Hmm. Okay. Well, just to make sure, 
go out and kill every boy two years and younger. Right? When we are faced with news that confront directly our sense of ownership, we become troubled. When somebody confronts us about our plans, our ideas, our establishments, when they confront us for these things that we believe that we have, we hold on to as our own, we become troubled. Don't you dare ask me how, why I squeeze from the end of the tube of the toothpaste. Or why I put the dishes in this cupboard and not that one. Or why the forks go in this section of the tray and not the other. We become king of our own domain. The reality is, when somebody confronts with us with those questions and those ideas, where we are the ones who are in charge or we are the ones who have ownership, we become troubled too. When we find ourselves like Herod, where we think that we own and we have the right to possess it, and somebody questions our authority, we become troubled. In the spiritual sense, there are things that we hold on to as truths, that we hold on to as hard, cold facts. And we take ownership of these things. And as we take ownership of these things and somebody challenges us on that, or even God himself, we become troubled. But it doesn't end there. You see, we become troubled because we believe that deep down, we have it right. Okay, And we may feel as if everything is going to according to our plans, but the reality is that the Bible teaches us that the problem isn't just with one individual. It's with everybody. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? What that means is that you and I, as, as good as we may be on the outside or as good as we may be on a day-to-day fa- uh, fashion, as good as we may appear, as, as, as much as we do good, we in of it ourselves are wicked. Oh, no, Pastor, I, I don't believe that. Hey, the Bible teaches us that us without God equals wickedness. The Bible teaches us that when we live in, and we take ownership of our own lives and we do not surrender it to God, we separate ourselves from him. We become wicked. We become like Herod. We start taking ownership. And who, 
Who dare you come to my castle and ask me, where's the king? Who's in charge of your kingdom? Is it you? Or is it something else? Or someone else? The second part to this story is the chief priests and the scribes. The scribes, misspelling, and the scribes, they knew that Jesus was coming. Or I should say, they knew that there was a prophecy for a coming Messiah, so much so that they said, hey, he's going to be born in this particular place. He's, they had all the information. They were expecting a king, a literal king, to come and overthrow Herod, right? They were expecting the political powers of that day to be conquered by the coming Messiah. So when Magi, who were a, a group most likely Gentiles, and we'll get to that in a minute. They come and they say, we're looking for the king that was born. And they're like, yeah, no, he, he, it's in Bethlehem. And, and here's the interesting part. When, when Herod finds out and he sends that edict to go and kill the 20, excuse me, the boys that were tw two years and younger, according to what we know, archaeologically and historically speaking, the town of Bethlehem was not that large. There was only about 20, roughly, it is the estimation that there were only about 20 baby born at that time. He committed genocide. Now throw, throw a word out there that's very popular in today is the word genocide. He did that to ensure that he would still be the king. Oh, but he had a rude awakening. So the Pharisees are here and they're looking at it from their perspective and they're saying, no, he's not coming. But you know, if our hearts are deceitful, Paul talks about it that when even, here Romans chapter 3 verse 10 through 11 says, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. What is interesting that Paul's take on humanity is that when we are left in of ourselves, we will not search out God in of ourselves. There's no way we can do that. If our hearts are deceitful, human, humanity by itself will never seek out God. Well, pastor, well, I, I seek out God. If you seek out God, it's most likely because he revealed to himself to you in such a way that you recognize that you are no longer yours. You're, you can no longer be yourself as a result of who God is, as a result of what he's done for you. 
You may not be a perfect Christian. You may not be the, the, a role model in, in, in terms of, of Christian behavior. And you seek out, seek out God once in a while. But humanity in of itself cannot be good. Because our hearts are deceitful. And we would not choose God. We would not look for God in of ourselves without the prompt of the Holy Spirit. No one, there's none who understands. No one would understand God. And none would seek him in this condition. Now, the irony of it all is that the wise men, they were seeking God, right? They were seeking a savior to come. They were seeking for somebody to overthrow the government. And here's the irony of it all. The person they wanted the Messiah to overthrow is asking them, hey, is this new king coming? There's there's an irony here that Matthew records, and he's the only one who records this story. And so they tell him, Are you like a Pharisee and the scribes that are going through the motions of Christianity and not not allowing it to take full effect in your spiritual walk with God? Is Is there something going on in your life that you see God's leading, but you say, hmm, not quite? Because that's exactly the the attitude that the Pharisees and the scribes had towards the Messiah. Towards Jesus, as we read in the Gospels later. Uh, No, you can't be the one. Always looking for something to create doubt. Always looking for a reason not to believe. Always looking for a reason to, wait, that's not quite right. Are you just going through the motions and not surrendering completely to God in your own personal walk with him according to the revelation and according to the the things that he's revealed to you at this time? And then we come to the wise men. We don't know if there were three. That song, We Three Kings of Orient Are, or they weren't kings, there weren't three but they were from the Orient. We say there are three because of the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We assume there were three, but the Bible never tells us. But they come from the East to look for the king. Now here is what amazes me, is what they say in chapter 2, verse 2. Where is the king who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Here's a little detail that we forget. These men were not the priests. They were not the ones who were studying the scriptures to and knew them backwards and forth. They were not rabbis. They were not theologians. 
These were astrologers, excuse me, astronomers, not astrologers. They were astronomers. And so they paid very close attention to the skies. And they saw this star in the east. And what happened? What did they do? Oh, pastor, they went and searched for it. They went looking for Jesus. They had heard of a Messiah that was coming. They, had, they knew that there was a promised Messiah. So number, two things here. One, they did not belong to the elect. But they knew of the Creator. Two, they dropped everything to find Jesus. That's a detail that is inferred and implied in the text because these were not men who were looking for a Savior to be born. But they understood that was not what they did professionally. But they understood the Scriptures enough that when the signs appeared, they dropped everything and they went and they followed it. They followed the star until they came to that baby lying in the manger, waiting for them. The Bible says, you know, we, we have seen the stars, they said. Have you seen the star? Are you looking at it? Are you searching for it? Are you, the, are you looking at scriptures and you... Are you... Do you not see Jesus? Because Jesus himself, speaking to these same Pharisees, said, you search the scriptures... But the scriptures talk about me. Are you looking for the star, the morning star, the bright one, the one that comes to illuminate the most inner parts, inner depths of your heart? Where he wants to change you, mold you, fashion you according to his purpose. He wants you to realize that he is king. Have you fully embraced the revelation of Jesus in your life? Or are you, do you fall somewhere between Herod and the Pharisees and the Sadducees? And, the, and the, these wise men. That you're still struggling because when Jesus appears, he didn't use a megaphone. He didn't use an, uh, a messenger to announce. He used the shepherds. He used the wise men. In the Bible, you see Jesus, a constant theme throughout the scriptures. He used the weakest person, not the strongest. He used the sinner, 
not the most holy. He used a baby, not a soldier. And he used a cross, not a palace. See, the story of the gospel is a story of redemption because he, it doesn't matter what, where you come from. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you have done as long as you come. And in that process, he's going to change you. In that process, he's going to mold you. He's going to maybe break you. But he's going to restore you. So where is the king? In your heart, in your life? Are you struggling to surrender the palace of your heart to him? There are some of you today who may be thinking, well, Pastor Art, I'm, I'm good. I've, I've done this whole thing all my life. I've done this for such a long time. I think I understand the difference between what God wants me to do and where I was. But let me remind you that the Pharisees were experts in understanding the Scriptures. Yet they did not understand when Jesus showed up. I pray that as we continue to develop and look at Christmas as Christmas is upon us, we can ask ourselves the question, where is the king? Not only where is the king, who's the king? And who's the king of your heart? God bless you.